Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. As we get ready to get into Psalm 124 today, I've got a question for you. When's the last time you were in a close call, a a near miss? I'm talking not about the wreck that you had that could have been worse than it was. I'm talking about the wreck that you should have had, but you didn't end up having. When's the last time you were in a close call? You're driving down the highway, you're listening to your traveling music, you're not on your phone, you're not in conversation with anybody else, but all of a sudden you just hit that highway hypnotism. You're just in that zone. And the next thing you know, you look over to the passenger, the seat next to you, and they're grabbing that handle that's up there by their window and they're pumping the brakes if there's brakes on their floorboard. And you look back to the road and all you see is taillights. And you slam on your brakes and you swerve to the right. And somehow only by a miracle did you miss the car in front of you by inches. The next thing you do is look in your rearview mirror and you're hoping that the car behind you doesn't hit. And somehow they swerve left when you swerve right and you weren't in the wreck. And somehow you escaped what could have been potentially harmful and caused injury and you walked away without a scratch. When's the last time you had a close call? When's the last time you had a near miss? Maybe you were with your children at a neighbor's party and uh, they have a pool in their backyard and that pool is just like a magnet and it draws children. You warned your children, do not go anywhere close to the pool. And you turned your back for five seconds. You hear a splash and all of a sudden you see your husband dive into the pool because it's your daughter that's in the pool. And he gets her before uh, she uh, gets hurt and he picks her up and he takes her out. And what could have been a moment of grief is a moment of rejoicing. It was a close call. It was a near miss. When's the last time you had a close call? When's the last time you had a near miss? I need you thinking about that because as we go to Psalm 124 today, it's a song about close calls. It's a song about near misses. It's a song about what would have happened if God had not intervened. I want to invite you at this time to stand with me as we quote from Psalm 124. Maybe somebody in the church that's meeting in your house today has already memorized it and you want to hit mute on me and you want them to quote it. How many times you hear the preacher say, go ahead and mute me now, but go ahead and mute me. Or if not, you just listen as I quote. But as we quote Psalm 124, I want to ask you to listen for two things. Listen for how the psalm starts, stops, and then starts up again. And then listen for the graphic language. I feel like I should put some kind of warning in front of this because the language gets violent and the language gets graphic. So listen for how it starts, listen for how it stops, listen for how it starts again, and listen for this violent language that has to do with close calls. In reverence for God's word, would you stand with me as we quote Psalm 124. Psalm 124, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a song of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let all Israel repeat it. If the Lord had not been on our side when the people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive by their burning anger. The water would have engulfed us, The torrent would have overwhelmed us. The raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Blessed be the Lord. He did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap was broken and we are free. Our help comes in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Did you catch it where the song started, where it stopped, where it started up again? And did you hear the 
violent language. Before we get into the specifics of it, I want to remind you that these are songs for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, that three times a year God called his people to get back to the to Jerusalem so that they could all worship together, that they could go in the early spring during Passover. 50 days later, they'd go at Pentecost. And in the summer, they go for tabernacles, the feast that we would compare to our Thanksgiving to celebrate all of God's goodness. And as they would leave their homes, as they would leave their villages, as they would leave their farms, they would they would travel together as families and they'd travel together as communities to Jerusalem. Whenever you talked about going to Jerusalem, you wouldn't say, hey, let's go down to Jerusalem. Let's go over to Jerusalem. You'd always say, let's go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the highest point in all of the land. And this was a journey. Most of the people would travel at least half a day. But if you lived where Jesus lived in the northern region of Galilee with Jerusalem in the south, you'd travel something like 60, 70, 80 miles, depending on where you go. You can make 20 miles a day walking. You have three, three and a half, four, four and a half days of traveling. And along the way, along this journey, these people would sing songs together. It was an uphill journey. Before I go any further, I just want to ask you, what uphill journey are you facing right now? because all uphill journeys are faced with close calls. And I just have a hint, hunch that some of you are facing an uphill journey. Some of you are in an uphill journey of engagement. You are engaged to be married and it is an uphill journey because your wedding date was set and then COVID-19 hit and you had to cancel your wedding date and you've rescheduled. And it looks like now maybe that as things are spiking, you're gonna to have to uh, cancel it again. And it is an uphill journey. Some of you are in an uphill journey vocationally. You graduated college and you have, uh, gotten that first job and that first job just didn't do it for you. And so now you are without a job or maybe you graduated college and didn't even get a job and you're going through the interview process. And it seems that during COVID-19, this interview process has been extended and all the interviews are a Zoom call or a Skype call and you do one and then you get another and then you get another three, four, five interviews. And after the fifth interview, you still don't know and you're still waiting and you are tired of living in mom and dad's house again and you're just ready. And this is an uphill journey and there are an awful lot of close calls where you can bail out. Some of you are in the uphill journey financially. You're you are looking at life and finances were starting to get better and then COVID-19 hit and all of a sudden you got laid off or you got furloughed and uh, now you were trying to get out of debt and you were doing the financial piece and you were making that snowball happen, but you've just stopped because you don't know where the next money to pay rent's gonna come from. And this financial journey is an uphill journey. There are all kinds of places where you're going to have a close call where you could bail out and you could just quit and go into more and more debt. Where are you facing an uphill battle? Some of you are just in an uphill battle as you're thinking about uh, education. You're thinking about what's it going to mean if our school district goes all the way back and all the students are back in class or they're not going to go back in class at all or they have the choice and you're having choices to make and school districts all across the Miami Valley and country are making all of those decisions and our educators are having uphill battles. They're trying to figure out what the school year is going to look like. They're trying to make plans for fall break and spring break. You're just in this uphill climb. This journey is has all kinds of uh, opportunities for close calls. And so I just want you to think about what journey are you on and are you willing to hear what the songwriter has to say? So did you hear where the song started? The songwriter says, uh, if God had not been on our side, let all Israel repeat it. And then it stops. And then it starts up again. If all of Israel had not been on our side when the people attacked us, what's going on here? I think as these people are journeying and it comes time to sing this song, and there are 15 of them, remember? And I don't know exactly when this song would be sung in the midst of the 15, when it comes time to sing this song. Evidently, there's a leader. 
And that leader probably, she probably has the best voice of all the people traveling in the caravan. And it's her responsibility to sing that first line, to shout that first line. If God had not been on our side, let all Israel repeat. Or maybe she has the most beautiful voice, but it's not the loudest voice. But her boyfriend has the loudest voice. She says, hey, get everybody's attention. They're not paying attention. And he shouts at the top of his lungs. If God had not been on our side, let all of Israel repeat. And then all of a sudden, every, all of a sudden everybody's attention is grabbed and they start to shout out. They repeat the line. I think the word is antiphonal. Antiphonal, it's a call and a response. A call and response is the picture I think we get in Isaiah chapter 6 of heaven with angels all over heaven. Holy, holy, holy. And they say it over here. And then holy, holy, holy over here. And holy, holy, holy. It's a call and it's a response. And that's what's going on. The leader is calling the people to worship. If God had not been on our side, let all of Israel repeat. Let all of God's people repeat. If God had not been on our side when the people attacked us, uh-oh, that's the beginning. It stops and it starts, and the people are immediately aware that this journey is filled with an awful lot of close calls. And then the songwriter goes on, and here's where the language gets graphic. And he says, I just want you to be aware, if the Lord had not been on our side when the people attacked us, first of all, they would have swallowed us whole in their burning anger. A lot of people will ask me from time to time, hey, Tim, are you one of those people that interpret the Bible literally? And I asked them, because I'm getting old and kind of snarky, I'm like, well, is that a trick question? No, we just thought you were one of those people that interpret the Bible literally. And my response is, well, interpret the Bible literally where it's supposed to be interpreted literally. What do you mean? And this is one of the verses that I always share them. One, Psalm 124, verse 2. The songwriter says that they would have swallowed, when the enemy attacked, they would have swallowed us whole in their burning anger. And I look, you really think that the songwriter, in this case, we know it's David, really believed that there were a group of people who were large enough and big enough to swallow human beings whole? No, I don't think that's what that means. I think it's graphic imagery. And I think David wants us to know that if, if God had not been on our side and the people remembering, if God had not been on our side, the people that were angry against us, burning in anger, they could have come in and they could have killed us like that. One, more, one moment alive, one moment dead. Life is over in the blink of an eye. And it could have happened just like that, but it didn't. And then he says it could have happened swiftly. But then he says we could have been swept away. It says the waters could have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. The, the waters of their raging fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Have you ever seen the power of a flood? Have you ever seen the power of a tsunami? As that water comes rushing in, as it comes and it destroys houses and takes houses off their foundations, as it picks up cars and drives them away swiftly. What he's saying was these people could have come in and they could have driven us away from our land where we would have been overwhelmed. and We couldn't have done anything to stop them because they would have come fast and it would have been quick and it would have been prompt. And that would have left us overwhelmed, our very lives overwhelmed and devastated. This would come alive for the people, especially if they were traveling south of Jerusalem, like Jericho towards north towards Jerusalem. They would have gone through a region of the country called Wadi Kelt. And Wadi is a mountains on one side and a valley in between, and they're nice gentle streams. But when the rains come from the west, it just fills the valleys, and those valleys flood, and people are swept away. They understood this. It could have happened swiftly. They could have been swept away. And then he takes a beat. He takes a pause. He says, blessed be the Lord. He did not let, here the language gets really vital. This is the one that kind of worries me the most. He did not let their teeth tear us apart. Could have happened swiftly. We could have been swept away and been overwhelmed, or it could have left us to die a slow, painful death where like a pack of animals, the enemy comes in and just takes one bite out of us at a time and leaves us writhing in pain and no telling how long that's going to happen. 
swiftly it could have happened, life over like that. They could have swept us away and we've been overwhelmed or it could have left us to lead, uh, to die a, a slow and prolonged death. And then he says this, but we escaped like a bird in the hunter's trap. I want to get to the escape in just a minute, but I want you to understand these people were trapped. They were caught. They did not think there was any way out when the bird is trapped and the hunter's trapped when it's snared. I don't know, is the is a rope pulled around its leg? Is it caged in? Uh, it just looks and it's concluded in its own mind. There's no way out. And the only thing now I'm waiting for, and I don't know how long I'm going to gonna have to wait, is to the one who's bigger than me, the one who's more pow powerful than me, just going to come in, ring my, ring my neck and roast me over the fire and have me for dinner. And that's what they're thinking. And that's how they're feeling. But he says, we escaped. And it says, the trap is broken. We are free. As I think through this violent and this graphic imagery, I want to ask myself the question, who are the enemies he's talking about? And we don't know. And I think God doesn't want us to know because I think there's power not knowing. And I think the truth here is this, as God's people are traveling together, as they're journeying this uphill uh, journey to Jerusalem, as they're ascending to Jerusalem to worship God, they are remembering their history, but they're not reliving their history. And so they don't know exactly. They don't recall exact details. Could it have been? This is a Psalm of David and David is the second king of Israel, he knows the people's history. Could he have been thinking, could they be thinking about that moment when uh, they were in captivity in Egypt and, and, their, and their fathers and their, their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers cried out and God heard their cry and he saw their misery and he was concerned and he sent them a rescuer and a deliverer and he led them on a road that led by a pathway through the sea, a pathway no one knew was there. And he opened up the Red Sea and God's people walked through on dry land, but Pharaoh and his army got swept up in the sea. Could he have been thinking about that? Maybe. Could have been thinking about the time after God's people had entered the land of promise. It's the period of the judges. And during the period of the judges, they don't have a king yet. And God is blessing them. When God blesses them, the people begin to rebel and they begin to sin. And with that rebellion comes God's punishment. And with God's punishment, after a while, the people repent. And after repentance, God sends a deliverer, a judge. Don't think uh, robe and gavel. Think deliverer. And, and that's the cycle. And that's the pattern. And on one occasion, and uh, starts in about Judges, the book of Judges, chapter six. God's people are doing what they do every year. Uh, they're tilling the ground. They're getting ready for the crops. They plant the crops. They grow their crops. They're getting ready, ready to harvest the crops. And then all of a sudden, an army from the east, we know it as the Midianites, invades. Uh, one translation says like a swarm of locusts. Some, another translation says like a swarm of grasshoppers. And they invade and they destroy the crop and they plunder and they take everything away from the people and they leave them without anything. And so the next spring, they begin to till the land and they begin to plant the crop. They begin to grow the crop and they begin to get ready to harvest the crop. And here come from the east again, the Midianites, and they come in like a swarm of locusts, like a swarm of grasshoppers. Friends, this happened seven years in a row until God's people beg and repent and ask God for deliver. And God raises up a guy named Gideon. If you don't know the story of Gideon, you need to read the story of Gideon starting in Judges chapter six. God comes to Gideon and says, you're going to be the rescuer. You're going to be the deliverer. And Gideon says, how can I do that? I'm from the least of the tribes and I'm the youngest of anybody in my tribe. And God says, oh, I, I choose you anyway. And Gideon's able to muster together about 32,000 men to go fight the go fight the Midianites. And God says, too many. Tell them if they want to go home, they can go home. And 22,000 of them leave, leaving him with 10,000. And God says, too many. And he says, whittle them down again. And God whittles Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300. 
Gideon goes and he captures and he conquers the Midianites. Maybe, maybe they're thinking about that. Maybe they're thinking about the time when they now have a king. They have a king and his name is Saul and he's not a great king. And a second king has already been anointed, David, the one who's composed this song. Maybe he's thinking about that time and God's people are in the land and and this time it's not an invading army from the east. It's an, an army invading from the west. It's the sea peoples. And they continue to come into the land of Israel. And they conquer it strategically and systematically. And they mock God. And they mock everybody who follows the God of the people of Israel. And we don't know them as the sea people. We know them as the Philistines. And they continue to mock God. And David, the one again for, who's attributed to Psalm 124, he's taking some food to his brothers who are fighting the battle on the front lines. And it goes, and this, this giant is mocking the name of God and mocking the people of Israel. David's like, who's going to fight against him? Can't find anybody. David said, I'll go. And Saul, the king, tries to put David in the armor. And David says, the armor doesn't fit. And he just goes down to the, to the creek and he gathers you know, five stones and he takes one and puts it in the sling and the giant comes tumbling down. Could he have been thinking, when I saw that giant, I was so little and he was so big that I thought, man, that guy could swallow me alive? Possibly. But it's just this moment. We don't know what they're thinking about, but what we know is that they just simply say, the trap was sprung. The trap is broken. We are free. Our help, verse eight, our help comes from the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I want to ask you a question. Where do you, where have you been rescued? Where are you currently being rescued? Hey, Tim, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well, where do you sense that God has rescued you and delivered you, where God has been your helper? Some of you, if you're honest, you say, hey, Tim, I've, I've been rescued from dead religion, I, I, and, I, and I've been delivered into uh, living faith. I, I don't just have these uh, rituals and routines that I have to fill and check off the box and feel like now that I've done my religious duty, but so much of my life was uh, dead religion. But now that I've met Jesus, the, the one who came in the name of the Lord, the one who 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 uh, sprung the trap, the one who set us free. Now that I met Jesus, I've received the, the more and better life than he that he came to give. Some of you, truth be told, he said, I've been delivered. I'm being rescued or I have been rescued. or I'm being rescued from an addiction. What might that look like? When the COVID-19 restrictions lifted wherever you're at across the country, across the world, you decided that you and your wife hadn't gone out for dinner for a while. So you go out for dinner and they're social distancing. But even so social distancing going on, the things that are going on at the bar are still going on at the bar. And there's a guy who you can just see his back and he's getting loud and he's getting obnoxious and he's just getting louder. And everybody in the restaurant is just waiting for him to leave. When he turns to leave, you see his face and you're eyes get about this big and your jaw drops open and your wife says, what's wrong? I said, you know that guy that's making all the noise at the bar? Yeah, that was my fraternity brother. And 10 years ago, that's what we did every Friday night. We acted just like that. And if God had not intervened, if God hadn't, I was caught in the trap of that addiction and easy, 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 that could have been me. Some of you have been rescued or are in the process of being rescued from yourself. Some of you would just say, hey, Tim, honestly, two, three years ago, I was the most arrogant and obnoxious jerk on the planet. I was totally self-centered, self-absorbed. The universe revolved around me and nobody else and nothing else mattered. But God's rescued me from me. And now I'm just a, just a little bit less of an, obnox an obnoxious jerk, a little bit less self-absorbed. But God's rescuing me from me. Where are you in the process of being rescued or where have you been rescued and if that's happened to you, and if that's happening to you, you need to stop and say thank you. That's why in verse 6, after he talks about uh, 
being swallowed alive after he talked about being swept away. He just stops and says, blessed be the Lord. Some of your translations say, praise the Lord. It's just a moment of thanksgiving. God, you haven't let that happen. And God, I just want to give you thanks because easily that could have been me if you hadn't rescued me, if you haven't delivered me. And then he says this, and this just really intrigues me. And I want to ask you this question. Where do you feel trapped today? Where do you feel caught? Maybe you feel caught in some sin. Maybe you feel caught in some uphill battle. Maybe you just have given up hope and you're just waiting for death to come. Where do you feel trapped? The songwriter ends the song with this. The people singing, by the way, have you noticed that this song is different than any other? In this song, there is no I, me, my, or mine. The songs that we've seen that they've sung together, they usually start, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Not here. This song is about uh, our help comes from the Lord. And so many of you, that's where you need to start. You need to go back to verse one and you need to hear the call to worship and you need to come and you need to worship together. And I know so many of you are longing for that and so many of you miss that. And, and while we're doing great things and God's doing amazing things through our our online broadcast every week. Some of you are just missing it. And some of you have come and said, hey, Tim, I'm getting more out of the teachings and more out of worship by online than ever before. And some of you are coming and saying, it's really hard for me to, to capture that and, and to really engage, but you're doing your best to do that. If that's you, I want to encourage you to understand that you cannot walk the way of Jesus alone. You need to make it corporate. You need to do it together. And I want to encourage you to be involved in a in a real house church, not just the people in your house, but invite some other people over to your house. Maybe you want to go to somebody's house and maybe that environment. You know, some people have, have challenged me that we need to be back in the building with a verse out of Hebrews that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Some are in the habit of doing. And I think that's absolutely God's truth. But I know that when that passage of scripture was written, it wasn't written about church buildings. Church buildings didn't come along for about another 300 years. It was about getting together as God's people. And I understand today that in the first house church that we started through this COVID-19 season. They told me that somewhere today, uh, there's somewhere they were expecting somewhere between 12 and 15 people in their house together today. And so if that's you in the church that's meeting in the Underwoods home today, I'm so thankful that you're doing that. Some, there are some other house churches going on, but if you'd like to be involved in one of the house church, if you need help uh, in this corporate aspect, would you just put it right there in the Facebook comments and tell me more about house church? Would you uh, email us at start at miamivalley.org. Just tell us and we will make sure to, to help you because it has to come down to this. It can't be I, me, my, mind. It has to be ours and we have to be around the people of God. And so the song ends, our help comes from the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Why did David end the song that way? He's used all kinds of other words to describe God. Our help comes from God, our rock. Our help comes from God, our provider. Our help, come, help comes from God, our shelter. No, he says our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Because I think that's what we need to focus on. Those characteristics of God we need to focus on when we feel trapped. When we need him to come and, and break the trap and set us free. Think about his creation. Think about how he made the earth. I think three things are involved. First of all, his creativity. Think about the creativity of God. Think about every human being that you meet that looks different, that has a different personality, that has a different color skin, that speaks a different language, is creativity. Think about the number of trees that you like. Some of you have just enjoyed over the summer already the peach truck when it came to town. And aren't you thankful for fresh peaches that come off peach trees that get delivered to part of the country where we don't have fresh peach trees? Some of you like fresh apples off of apple trees, orange trees, banana trees, 
elm trees, maple trees. Think about all the trees. Think about all the creative variety of flowers, roses and carnations and daisies, uh, gladiolas and peonies. Think about all the varieties of flowers of the creativity of God. When we think about the maker of heaven and earth, he's creative. But also when we think about the maker of heaven and earth, we need to remember that he's ingenious. That when he puts his creation together, think about how it works. Think about how he has tilted the earth on its axis just right. That he's put the earth just close enough to the sun so that we enjoy its heat, but we're not too close to the sun so that our waters don't boil and we boil up and die. We're not too far away that we freeze to death. It's just right. Think about how he's ingenious with the way with he's constructed your body. If you don't understand that, read Psalm 139. Think about how your heart and your lungs and your liver and your kidneys and your legs and your arms and your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your nose, how they all work together. He's ingenious in giving you the greatest computer that could ever be built, your brain. And he's so ingenious that some of us are left brain dominant and some of us are right brain dominant. You say, Tim, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Is that darn tennis shoe teal and gray or is it pink and white? Is it Yachty or is it Laurel? I don't know because our brains process things differently. But he is ingenious in the way that he's put this earth together. The sun to rise in the east and set in the west. The moon to rise and to there be tide. He's ingenious. But friends, he's also not only creative and genius, he's capable. He's the one who sustains it all. And the minute he says the laws of gravity no longer work, you and I float off of planet Earth. The minute he says uh, that uh, the earth needs to move closer to the sun, the planet burns up. He is capable and the only one of sustaining and allowing the sun to rise and run its course every single day and the moon to come out at night. He's capable. And when we're caught in a trap, that's exactly what we need. The one who is creative, the one who is ingenious, and the one who is capable. Who else, when the children of Israel were caught in a trap, would go to the youngest man in the least tribe and say, you, you're the one that's going to rescue us from that invading army in the east. And by the way, whittle your army down to 300. Now go conquer them. Who is creative and ingenious enough to say to the little shepherd boy of Israel, go fight the giant who might be able to swallow you whole. And don't take the armor that the king wants you to use. Simply use the stone that you know how to put in your slingshot. Friends, he is the God who is creative, ingenious, and capable. Where does that leave us? I wonder if we don't need to come back and say, if God had not been on our side, I wonder if the church in America stands at that cross point right here, right now, with all kinds of enemies surrounding us, with all kinds of things waiting to threaten us, with all kinds of things waiting to take us over. We could be destroyed, but God doesn't want that to happen. And we don't need to say, uh, the children of Israel have said, Thank God that David was on our side. If David hadn't been on, if Gideon hadn't been on, no, if God had not been on our side. And we need to be the kind of people who say, not if a Republican is on our side or a Democrat is on our side or a mayor or a governor is on our side. No, we need to be the people who say, if God had not been on our side, we would have been destroyed. And friends, our nation stands at a crossroad with all kinds of enemies. And the church needs to stand up and the church needs to be the ones that say, this is God's way. God and God alone can rescue us from the trap of hatred that we were in, that we are in. Friends, it is wrong in any stretch of the imagination to hate someone simply based on the color of their skin, simply based on the language that they speak. And it is equally wrong to hate anyone simply based on the color of their uniform. Hatred has no place in God's kingdom. And if God has not been on our side, the enemies that we face will destroy us. And God's people need to say, God, we need 
you to help us to break the trap, to set us free. God, be, uh, show us your creativity, show us your ingenuity, and show us your capability and use us even though we're the least and even though we're the youngest. Friends, that's what God wants to do. It is the task of the church in every age to decide. Our, is our identity going to be formed by the scriptures or by the culture? Will our identity be scripture-based or culture-based, scripture-driven or culture-driven? And the church has a chance to right now stand up and say, God must be on our side. He alone can break this trap. He alone can set us free. We look to God and God alone for our help. Friends, where have you been rescued? Tell him thank you. Where are you being rescued? Tell him thank you. Where are you trapped? Tell him you need his creativity, his ingenuity, and his capability to set you free. And most of all, friends, our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. And he went to a cross and he died a death and he rose from the dead to set you and me free. And the first step, that's how God gets on your side. Not by being an American, not by being anything else other than being a Christian. By, the, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, can you say with all of your heart, if God had not been on my side, and he's on my side because I've trusted, excuse me, I've trusted Jesus today. Father God, I thank you that this song is so relevant for today. It's a song for pilgrims ascending on an uphill climb. It's a song for pilgrims who feel uh, dangerously close to the edge. Uh, a close calls coming. God, we feel like we're in a trap and we think the only thing that awaits us is death. And God, we need you to help us. We need you to rescue us. We need you to deliver us. God, we need you to show us your creativity, your ingenuity, and your capability. God, break the traps that ensnare us today. May we know your rescue. May we know your deliverance in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray together. If the Lord had not been on our side, let all God's people say, say it with me, if the Lord had not been on our side. Continue to worship. Continue to ask God to rescue you and deliver you and to set you free. As God's Spirit continues to speak to you and you continue to worship, I want to encourage you to engage with the song that you're about ready to hear. This song has become very meaningful to me as Miami Valley Church is moving through this new season of our journey together. It's a song that's called Red Sea Road. And I first heard it after I found this verse in Scripture from Psalm 77. Psalm 77, the songwriter says this, Your road led to a pathway through the sea, a pathway no one knew was there. And I don't know about you, but that's how I felt as we're moving through this season. Not sure uh, what's on the other side of every obstacle. Not sure what this is going to look like. But as you listen to this song, I want you to understand that God leads us. And when he leads us, he leads us in a way that we don't see the road in all of its entirety. So God's asking us to take a next step, asking us to allow him to part the waves and to give us a clear path to the obstacles that are in front of us. So I want to encourage you to listen and to continue to worship as Ava and Ryan lead us and they sing Red Sea Road. But everything reminds us God 
Hey, this is Pastor Judd, and I believe that God is doing something inside of you right now. What needs to be fixed? What needs to be addressed? And how are you going to change after hearing this message today? God, would you make us to be more like you in your image as we are here loving this valley right where we are? Trust. 
Our souls, we won't bear. 